Welcome to Victory Church Winchester, Virginia's weekly podcast. Our desire is that you will find Victory a place to call home. Please take a moment to subscribe and share. Here is this week's message from our Sunday morning worship experience. I'll always be part of this church. I found home. You found home? It is great to belong. Awesome. You know, when you have a spat in your family, you don't, you don't leave the family. You stick around. You work it through. So my message this morning is called Encountering Jesus on Your Emmaus Road. Encountering Jesus on Your Emmaus Road. You know, Jesus' life on earth proved that God is real. Jesus' death on the cross proved that God loves you tremendously. You're invaluable to him. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead proves that he is Lord. And from infancy to 19 years of age, I don't think I missed a Sunday going to church. But it wasn't until I was 19 years old that I discovered this truth. It changed my life. Around that same time, a man named Josh McDowell, who grew up as an angry, restless young man, trying to fill his life. He tried to fill it with church. That didn't work. He tried to fill it with notoriety. That didn't work. Tried education. That didn't work. But he'd notice certain people seemed to be even keeled. And he'd ask, what's the story on you? One day he asked a lady, she said, Jesus Christ. He says, oh, don't give me that religious crap in church. She says, I'm not giving you that. I said, Jesus Christ. Long story short, you know, he he believed that Christians had two brains. One brain was lost and the other one was out looking for it. So he didn't have a high opinion of believers, but he did give his life to Christ. I believe he graduated from Wheaton as a summa cum laude. So he was no dummy. And he wrote a book, which I still hold dear to. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He would author over 100, author and co-author over 150 books. And the one I like the most is Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Yeah, somebody said a great book. I got two versions of it, two editions. And in the seventh chapter of that book, It's titled, The Trilemma, Liar, Lunatic, or Lord. You see, because anybody that claims to be the Son of God has either got to be a liar, or he's a lunatic, or if he's not in either one of those two things, he's actually the Lord, the bona fide Lord. The Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing. This morning, I don't want you to be weary in well-listening. Pastor Keith gave me an opportunity to pick the text out of four, and I picked this one, and it's over 20 verses long, so uh, you can follow along. Let's read it together. Now, that same day, two of them, disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? You do not know these things that have happened there in these days? Jesus says, What things? About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he broke bread. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while talking with us on the road and opening and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Isn't that a powerful story? That same day, the same day that Mary Magdalene got up so early, it was still dark, went down to the tomb, witnessed what she saw, ran back to tell John and Peter, John and Peter running to the tomb, John beating Peter, but Peter going in first, John after, right? They leave, Mary still there. She looks in, she sees two angels. They say, why are you crying? She turns around, thinks she sees a gardener. There's Jesus. This same day, last week, Easter, it's resurrection. But this particular text happens later in the evening as the sun is going down. Now, people often wonder, who was Cleopas's uh, uh, friend walking next doors. The commentaries t will say two men. Well, it doesn't say two men. It says the two of them. And they name one of them. It could have been his wife. Have you ever thought of that? If, I, if, if, if somebody said, Rob is going back home with someone else, who would you think I'm going home with? Denise. Not one of you. It's my wife. It could have been a neighbor disciple. It could have been Luke himself. Think about that. Not uncommon for the for the gospel writers to kind of insert themselves, right? The nameless publican could have been Matthew. Remember the young man that ran as somebody grabbed his clothes? He says, ran naked. Kind of probably ashamed of saying it was himself. The gospel writer John says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Maybe this is a way that Luke just kind of inserted himself. We don't know. It doesn't matter. Because what matters is that there were two, and the condition of their hearts, it was rough going that day for them. Now, it is believed that the little town of Emmaus was about seven to seven and a half miles from Jerusalem, going in a northwesterly um, direction, and there were forks in the road to going other towns. And I like to imagine that it was one of these forks that Jesus came along. Now, we don't know that for sure, but certainly he showed up. And I like what it says. It says, Jesus himself. Jesus, not a clone, not a look-alike, not a spirit but the bona fide, real Jesus Christ. Woo! <laughs> now, I know that it's, uh, it's traditional or it's usual to bless you at the end of service. Pastor will often do that. 
I'm going to do things a little different. This I'm going to give you three blessings this morning, and um, I'm going to do it right now. And the, the blessings come out of Second Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians, and I like that book for this reason. It says God Himself or Jesus Himself several times. Now this group over here, I'm going to make the cameras work a little bit. This group looks like it could lose, use a little peace. May the Lord of Peace Himself, bonafide Jesus, give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord is with you always. Isn't that a great, great blessing? Now this group over here, it looks like they could use a little strengthening and encouragement. Yeah, you, yeah. May the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. That's a good word, man. Woo! Now this group over here needs a little sanctification. Yeah. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. I love that. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Isn't that a great word? Hallelujah. Now, they were kept from recognizing him. Interesting. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about why we don't recognize Jesus, and these aren't up on the, on the board but I want to share a few with you. Luke chapter 24, 25 says it's because of dullness. John chapter 20, verse 11 says it was disappointment that kept them from understanding who Jesus was. John 20, 14, it was dimness. John 20, 24, it was disbelief. John 21, 4, it was distance. They just couldn't see far enough to see who it was on the shores of, of, uh, of the waters. Luke chapter 24, verse 36, it was dread. But Mark, chapter 16, verse 12, Mark gives two verses to this Emmaus experience. And he says in his two verses, the line is, he appeared to them in a different form. Really, the, the question is, why did he go incognito? I'll let you, I'll send that with you for some homework. We're also guilty of not seeing Jesus. He's the guy that fixed your flat tire this week. You had all this clean clothes. You didn't want to get underneath that car. You had to get to a certain place. Somebody showed up, did it for you. He's the guy that gave you change. You thought you had enough and you had a few pennies missing and somebody just, yeah. He's the guy or the gal that came alongside you as you were grieving. We miss Jesus all the time. We really do. Now Jesus asked them a question that arrests them. It says they were walking and talking. And he asked a question, and it says, they stood still with their faces downcast. You know, we keep ourselves busy to avoid the hard things in life. I'm guilty. We do not like facing tough things, and so we work harder, we play harder, we stay busy, we make sure there's a lot of noise. Jesus loves to just arrest us. He stops them in their track. And he asked, what things? You sense kind of a frustration with Cleopas and his friend. It's as if they're saying, what happened this weekend was so public, so horrific, so awful, so universally known that even if you stayed overnight as a visitor, we can't imagine that you wouldn't know. 
You must be the only person in this county that hasn't heard about what happened. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? The talk of the town is talking to them. Woo! What was their emotional state? Well, we know that they were sad. They were downcast. And we know that they had lost hope. We know those two things. But I, I tried to put myself in their shoes and thought, what would be going through my heart? Because we know we can experience more than one emotion at a time, same time, right? And these are the words that popped into my mind. Confused, frustrated, angry, distressed, upset. The Bible says, hope deferred sickens the heart. They were sick in heart, perplexed, dazed, disappointed, flummoxed. I thought, where did I get that word from? I never use flummox. I must have learned it at my SAT. Right? You learn words that you'll never use again. I actually looked it up, and you know what flummoxed is? It's a great word. It means bewildered. Much of us, most of the time in our life, we're on an, on an Emmaus road. Abraham, with a bundle of sticks, and his one and only son that he had waited so long to have, is climbing a hill, the Emmaus Road, ready to sacrifice his one and only son. Has God called you to do something that in your head you think impossible? Jacob, he decides to go back to see his brother that he's so wronged in so many ways. He's expecting the death sentence. He's on an Emmaus road. Are you in conflict this morning with someone? You feel like you could die. Joseph's family suffering, famine, heading to Pharaoh on an Emmaus road. Are you lacking resources? Gideon hiding in the threshing room floor of a wine press because the Amalekites and the other kites were ravaging the land, right? Do you have debilitating fear this morning? Are you on that road? The woman with the issue of blood, the shameful, painful road that she walked every day. Maybe one of you got a report from the doctor saying you've got an incurable disease. Or maybe you're just playing sick and you're sick and tired of being sick. You're on that road. There's a lot of examples. I'll give you one last one. The widow, and I like Luke, he was a doctor, he specifies her only son was being carried out of town to be buried. Mourners following. As Jesus, as they're going out of town, Jesus is coming into town. Have you suffered loss? It's springtime. My daughter Andrea, her daughter Andrea had her second birth, her second son, on March 4th, 2016, the day of my, our oldest daughter's birthday, which was really kind of cool. Little baby Jack was uh, one shy, one ounce shy of 10 pounds. And she's a little, she's not a big girl. And um, in six weeks, he had, I think, come close to, he was, he was reaching towards 12 pounds. So he was growing like a weed. 
And one weekend, he was a little sluggish, so she brought him in. The doctors would later say, you know, I wouldn't have even brought this child in with the symptoms that he had. Well, he went from the doctors to the hospital to being put into a coma to having his body temperature lowered. We kept in contact with him. We were in our car in one of our church people's driveway when we got the call saying, Baby Jack's not going to make it. And we don't think our pastor's going to be there in time to dedicate Baby Jack. Would you ba- dedicate him? I love de- baby dedications. But that was a tough one. It's the greatest loss that Denise and I have ever experienced. We've lost parents. She's lost a sister. Caskets should not come in four-foot lengths. Right? Baby Jack's older brother, Paul, was totally enamored with his new baby brother. He was devastated, just like the rest of us were. How do you explain to a four-year-old what dead means? That you'll never see your brother again until heaven. Are you on the Emmaus Road this morning? You know the song, You're a Good, Good Father, was being popularized. And we sang it in that funeral time. We sang it with all of our hearts. Because we believe, and still do, that God is good. God is good. I don't understand, but God is good. We went back home after being away from our own church for two weeks, and guess what song they sang? You're a good, good father, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. District Council is happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Guess what the service ended with? Our uh, foreign uh, mission leader, uh, Greg Dundas, was playing, uh, was speaking, and he used that as the last ending song. God, Father, you're good. Father, you're good. This morning, I want to share with you five ways that Jesus relates to us in our necessary response. Let's pray. Father, we love your word. From the beginning, that says in the beginning, to the very end of Revelation, that says amen. Everything in between, Lord. Thank you for every single word of your word. That you give us the permission to watch and listen and read. And we especially thank you for this text, Father. Luke's the only one that really gives the details. And we are so glad it's in there for our encouragement, our blessing. And Father, this morning, even as I speak, I am fully aware, Lord, I can speak. But only you can bring revelation. Only you can fine-tune what I speak into every individual heart, every individual ear. Lord, whatever they need to hear, would you do that this morning? Would you so bless your people, Father, with encouragement? We're grateful, Father, for the opportunity to be together, to learn together, because it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, underneath my breath, I'm really praying, Lord, help me not to mess up. Because I'll get going, and sometimes things come out differently than I meant. Like, I might say that person let the bag out of the cat. Instead of the cat out of the bag, you know what I'm saying? One day I was preaching, and I wanted to share with the congregation the great emotion I felt the first time I saw Denise. And so what I meant to say was, I'll never forget the first day I laid eyes on Denise. 
What I said was, I'll never forget the first time I laid hands on. <laughs> now, I know what you're picturing. Total stranger, I come right up to her and put both hands on her shoulders, you know. No, that's not the way it happened. You know, I got a better one than that. Uh, there's someone very well known in uh, the northern New England district. Great piano player, was finishing out his service. And all of a sudden, boing, he looked across the strings and saw one broken. He says, I'm so sorry, I just broke my G-string. <laughs> that actually happened. And the congregation was roaring. It was just like get, billowing laughter, people falling over the floor. And he says, you're dismissed, go home. <laughs> well, hopefully, we'll have a better ending this morning. Five ways that Jesus relates to us. Number one, Jesus is the way. And he's walking your way. Now, I didn't say he's on the way, although he is. He's literally on the road. But on the way sounds like he's going to take some time to get there. No, he's, he's there. He got on your road before you got there. He did. He's already there. Some of you are saying, well, I'm on a bad road, I'm a sinner, I don't even believe in Jesus Christ, and he's nowhere near to be found. And I want to assure you, oh yes, he is. You know what the, the, what the word on the street was when Jesus was around? This is what they were saying about him. He's a glutton, he's a drunkard, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's because he hung around the likes of you and me. He says, I'm like a doctor, I'm here for the sick. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God has prepared for us in advance, that we should walk in them. He's already prepared the road that you're on, the works that you're going to do on that road. Even if you're on a hard road this morning, He's there. In Hebrews 13 it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew's gospel ends, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I like Proverbs 16.9. In, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Oh, we, I love the plan. I mean, I've got the whole next week plan. I've got everything. But the Lord directs our steps. And a lot of time, he'll take us in places, though we had planned, that we didn't plan on going. On top of all of that, well, I, I like Psalm 23, the, uh, 37 rather. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. And even if he should fall, the Lord is right there to uphold him. On top of that, the Holy Spirit is with us, called the paraclete, the advocate, the helper, the counselor, the one who walks alongside of us. Wow, what a wonderful thing. Jesus is the way, and he's on your road. Now, Jesus could have chosen any one of a hundred different places to be at that time of day. Now, think about it. He chose to be with two hurting people. And I want you to let that sink in. He's not afraid of hurting people. Right? He wants to be with you if you're hurting this morning. And one more point I want to make between these verses of, 20, of 15 and 24 is um, the fact that these disciples were drawn in by this question stopped in their tracks. Um, and they spent the next five verses explaining, as best they could, what had just happened in town on Friday. And um, 
But they not only spoke from their head, they spoke from their heart. They told them they were hurting. We had hoped, right? But the hope was dashed. We have a habit of praying safe prayers so that if they don't get answered the way we want them to, we won't feel the letdown. We, we, we play this little game with God to protect ourselves, right? We, we, we pray um, unspecific prayers. We pray calculated prayers. We pray mature-sounding prayers. When God really wants the raw footage, he wants to hear it just like we're experiencing it. And I'm guilty of not doing that. I want to more and more just tell him like it is. I think one time Denise walked into the room from outside and I was screaming. I was yelling. She said, what's wrong with you? I was just totally frustrated in ministry and just telling God about it. He likes that. Why else would David in Psalm 109 pray this prayer? May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. And may they be driven from their ruined homes. May the creditor seize all he has. May the stranger plunder his fruits. <laughs> may no one extend kindness. And that's just the beginning of his prayer. That doesn't sound very scriptural, does it, Pastor? I mean, that sounds kind of like mean. God wants to hear it like it is. He told us to be like little children. And little children have a way of just saying it like it is. Embarrassing as it all is, they just tell it like it is. So Jesus is our, is our way, and he's on your way. Secondly, he is the word, and he'll always point you to his word. Jesus is the word, and he'll point you to his word. Verses 25 to 27. Jesus rebukes them for being slow of heart to believe. And then he gives them context by taking them from Moses, the prophets, it says all of the scriptures. And I'd like to imagine Jesus as a little Hebrew boy learning the Hebrew scriptures going, oh, that one's about me. Oh, that one's me too. Now, that sermon is not recorded, but wouldn't you love to have what Jesus spoke to these two, starting with Genesis all the way? I mean, you know the chances of 355 or so prophecies coming to fruition in one person named Jesus Christ? You know what the chances of that are? It's one over a trillion, 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 nine times. That's a fat chance. And Jesus is going through these scriptures and explaining, giving them context as only he can. I would imagine he started with Genesis 3.15. For I will put enmity between you, Satan, your seed, and the seed of the woman, Mary. Did he continue on with, uh, with Isaiah 53.3? He was despised, forsaken, oppressed, afflicted. Did he cover uh, Zechariah 12.10? They will look at me whom they have pierced. Surely he must have used Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Someone has once said that the Bible is more current than your present newspaper. And in a lot of ways it's true. Because Psalm 22 speaks of a crucifixion. That happened thousands of years before the Romans ever discovered how to do it. Isn't that amazing? Prophetic word of God. Powerful. We can't comprehend how many lies come our way in a week. From 
the world is going to end in 10 years, you heard that one? To you're an idiot and every lie in between. And we fail because we often don't filter what's coming at us through the Word of God. We must daily be in the Word of God. Daily. It is the most crucial discipline you could ever do. Praying, fasting, a lot of other things you can do. But if you're not reading the Word of God, how can the Holy Spirit pull it out of you if it's not in there? Right? He wants to remind you of these things. And we often just simply fail. I, I was doing the next step, filling in for next step, and I said, growing old is not an option. I don't know. It just happens. But growing up is an option. Growing up spiritually is an option. And if you're not reading his word, you're opting out of growing up. And if you think the Sunday morning, this message or Pastor Keith's message is going to satisfy you for the whole week, that would be like me having breakfast this morning. Don't you love to eat? Expecting that breakfast to carry me all the way through. It ain't happening. You need to be personally in the Word every day. Corinthians says we demolish every argument, every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. It takes knowing the Word. What good? I mean, what are the chances of knowing the Lord of the book if you don't know the book of the Lord? How do we get to know God? but through his word. So he's the way, and he's on your way. He's the word. He'll always point you to his word. And thirdly, Jesus is invincible, yet waits to be invited. Yet waits to be invited. One of the core values of the Jewish community was hospitality. And they did that because out of Leviticus 19, 3, it says, you yourselves, Jewish people, were strangers in a strange land. In the time of Egypt. So because they, you know, recently we had water damage in our house. And uh, we had to motel it for a while. And then we did an Airbnb around the corner. And there's just something very unsettling about being misplaced. Or, you know, I mean, we know our house is there. We know all that stuff. But just being in a different place. Imagine being in a strange land. And it was not uncommon for the Jews to keep their door open as a sign of welcoming. But at the same time, you wouldn't impose yourself like on somebody. And Jesus makes as though he's going to continue on. And it says they urged him strongly. No, 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 stay. Sun's almost setting. The day's almost over. You've got to stay with us. Now, remember, their hearts have been burning within them. They've heard the best sermon ever. They want to hear more. Jesus is invincible, yet waits to be invited. Imagine had they not invited him in. Picture that. Hey, I had a great talk. See you later. Jesus is on our way, but he typically won't get in your way. He knows when he's not welcomed. And it's amazing that he took them up. As soon as they invited him, he took them up on the offer. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he's speaking to his very own church, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. The same is true with unbelievers. If you're an unbeliever today, 
You invite him in, he's coming. He takes every opportunity. One of our, one of our church people, John, um, <laughs> he said, when I gave my life to Christ, he reeled me in really fast. You know, he was playing guitar and worship and doing all this stuff, being part of a small group really quick. When you invite Jesus, he will take you up on it. Salvation is a free gift. You can't work for it. You can't pay for it. You can't get it by osmosis or downloading it from your parents. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 very clearly delineates what the gospel is. For what I received, I pass on to you of the first importance. This is so crucial. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, even up to 500 people. That's the gospel. Jesus died for you. And if you've crossed off, if you're still wondering, if you've crossed off the liar and the lunatic, and you're really considering lordship, I encourage you to invite him in. Even as you're sitting there, urge him strongly to come into your life. Receive. But how do you do that? Well, you believe who he is. You confess the sins that he so graciously died for you for. And by faith, you proclaim him both Lord and Savior of your life. Romans 10.10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth you confess and are saved. Jesus is the way, and he's on your way. He is the word, and he'll point you to his word. He is invincible, which means all-powerful. Nobody can overpower him. Yet he waits to be invited, which is so powerful. Really. He's God, and he won't force himself on you. Jesus, number four, is all-seeing and can open your spiritual eyes. Jesus could have revealed himself right from the start. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> but he didn't. And I'm going to send you with some more homework. Why didn't he reveal himself right from the start? Why did he go incognito, right? Meditate on that a little bit. The proper protocol... For breaking bread, having meal, was if, um, if you were invited to somebody's house, the father of the house, or if you were at a feast, the master of the feast would take the bread and he would thank God for it, from whom all good things come. He would thank the Lord, break the bread, and pass it on. Father of the house. Leader. Now picture this total stranger coming into your house, Cleopas's house, or the other guy's house, or the other woman's house, whoever, whoever that other person was, you know, awkward. He grabs the bread before anybody can put their hands on it, starts giving thanks for it, and then breaks it. And as he's giving it, I have a feeling those two guys had been at the table with Jesus more than once. Because they went back to the 11 and the others that were there so the, the disciples were growing, and undoubtedly they had seen Jesus break bread. Now, did he break it this way? Did he break it that way? Did he break it this way? I have a feeling when they saw that same movement that Jesus had done before, boom, lights went on, and poof, Jesus disappears. Now, ask yourself that question. Why didn't he stick around? 
You know, a lot of times we want to just ask more questions. We want more information. Tell me more. Tell me more. Well, what the Lord wants is, why don't you meditate on what you already know? Why don't you let sink in <laughs> the information to become revelation? We really think we're smart. We think we know a lot. But the Bible corrects us in 1 Corinthians 1. It says the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. We don't need only information. We need revelation. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, he's called the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. This text, 1 Corinthians 2.9, is often partially quoted. And it annoys me every time. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And they stop. They, they don't share verse 10. That says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Things that the eyes cannot comprehend, the mind can't wreck. God has. He's this God of revelation. At the end of Luke's gospel, it says he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And Paul prays beautiful prayers in Ephesians. Prayers like this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Why do we want this? To know Jesus. <laughs> so Know him better. Um, I pray that also the eyes of your heart. Did you know your heart has eyes? Hallelujah. That may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. You can also read Ephesians 3, verse 16, and part of that is, Oh, that you would grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with a measure of all the fullness of God. God is the way. He'll point, he's on your way. God is the word. He'll point you to his word. God is invincible. He waits to be invited. God is all seeing. And he can make you see. He can open things up for you. If you yearn to know him, to know the truth. He's a revelator. And lastly, number five. Jesus is the resurrection. Yes, he resurrected, but he is. He called himself the resurrection. And he compels us to be witnesses of that revelation. You know, the day had been long, mentally exhausting, emotionally draining, physically challenging. These two probably were ready for bed, right? Been a long day, very emotionally draining. Nobody twisted their arm to hightail it back to Jerusalem. A two, two and a half hour trip. It probably took less time to get there than it did to come home, right? Nobody, can you imagine them saying, hey, let's just sleep on this and we'll tell the folks tomorrow. They could not possibly sit on this beautiful experience that they had with Jesus Christ. Just like the woman at the well who went there purposely to get water, she leaves the water buckets and hightails it into town to tell the people, I've met somebody that told my whole life, I've met the Messiah. Door-to-door -door evangelism is good, nothing wrong with that, but there's nothing like a fresh experience and you sharing it 
It inspires. It challenges people. And so this morning, right? Share your fresh experiences. Go tell it on the mountain. Now, I chose this text out of, thank you for letting me choose a text out of four. Now, he's left with the others, right? Or someone else's. And this particular text lends itself to what I would call more of a shotgun sermon, not a rifle. Now, for those, and I'm not really aware of guns, but I believe a rifle has a bullet. One point. You get it? One point sermon. This is more like a shotgun where I've just sprayed a bunch of lead in a pattern, right? Well, it wasn't too bad. Only five points. You've been good listeners this morning. This altar this morning is open to a lot of different things, right? Number one, if you're on the uh, confused cul-de-sac or perplexed avenue or without hope street, our prayer people would be more than happy to pray with you. In fact, you folks can come forward if you'd like. Number two, Have you not been in his word? Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Come. Get prayed for. I just need to fall back in love with God's word. Number three. If you receive Jesus this morning, in your seat, even as I spoke, you come up and you tell someone, this is what I did. As soon as I got saved, I told someone, And if you haven't, if you haven't made that decision, you can still come forward and pray with somebody. If you're not sure how to do it, it's really not difficult at all. Number four, if you need wisdom, insight, understanding, revelation to solve a problem, he's the revelator. He's all seeing. He knows it. And he knows the answer. A lot of times when we're sick, we pray, Lord, either heal us or give us revelation of what's causing. We want the root. And he can reveal it. And finally, if you're, share, if you're shy of sharing Christ, you know, a little intim, intimidated by the whole thing, or you just simply need fresh experiences of the Holy Spirit and expect encounters of Jesus Christ this week, he will encounter you on the road. And so I send you off with the peace, encouragement, strengthening, and sanctifying power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Our vision is that you would experience Victory Church as a place to call home. We do this by encountering God through worship, embracing community through relationship, and expanding the kingdom of God through service. Find out more about Victory at victorywinchester.com.